All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. You guys glad to be here today? All right, good. Good. Well, so am I. So am I. So I want to say hello to all of you that might be visiting. You might be a guest with us today uh, here in our main auditorium. I also need to say a big, uh, big hello to everyone that's worshiping out there at North Platte, at our North Platte campus today. We praise God for you. We're excited about what God's doing in your life. You know, uh, back on Thanksgiving, these guys had like 167 people there. It was just, it was a record. It was a record on Thanksgiving. Uh, it was, uh, it was amazing. So we've got everyone worshiping down in the venue with us as well. And so, uh, I just want to say hello to everybody today. All of you that are worshiping with us online as well. Welcome to episode two of the star war. A King is born. Come on. That was your big opportunity. I gave it to you. Don't say I didn't. Uh, yeah, no, that's great. Hey, so episode one, since you're so excited about it, let me help you catch back up. Uh, episode one, we looked at Matthew chapter two. We kind of jumped in. We looked at uh, verses one and two. One and two. Yeah, the whole service last week was about two verses. That should tell you something about God's word, number one. God's word is like packed full of application, practical uh, you know, advice, uh, guidance, God's rule and how we should live our lives. It's just, it's packed in there. You can take one verse, you know, and sometimes you can, you can preach all, all Sunday morning about it. You can take a couple of verses and preach a whole series on it. So God's word's got a lot of life in it. And today we're going to continue that journey. You know, the whole series, the star war is, is built off of a premise. The premise is this, that the wise men made this long journey of which we'll talk about more. They made this journey following the star, and the star was going to lead them to who? A little Christmas trivia, just in case you get asked at a local Christmas party. Yeah. Lead them to Jesus. That's right. Good job. Five of you knew that. Uh, We have a basics in Christianity class coming up uh, at the beginning of next month. Um, So leading them to Jesus, right? There are things, though, in this world, in our time era, in our culture, that are warring against you, trying to keep you from following the star, of which the star today is the Holy Spirit leading you to Jesus. We want to expose what some of those things are that the wise men had to war against, and maybe even apply some of those principles and some of the things that they had to overcome to our own personal lives, so that we don't get caught in some of the same traps. That's our goal, that's our agenda, and that's where we're running today. And so today we're going into the next episode, episode two, where we're going to go beyond verses one and two, because in verses one and two, we discovered that the wise men, they had to war against things like distance. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles away to the east from where Jesus is born in Bethlehem. They had to war against concrete evidence. Like they didn't have all of the answers to all of their questions. They only had answers to a couple of their questions, but yet they still stepped out in faith. And I praise God for them. But they also had to war against just sheer time and history. You see, for hundreds of years, they had been looking into the skies, waiting for this star to appear that would cause them to activate their journey. Hundreds of years. How many of you have a hard time just keeping hope for a couple of days or hours Hundreds of years passed down from generation to generation. They had a war against that, and yet they overcame those things. And we can overcome those same similar things. And, you know, if any of that rings a bell for you, go back to MyNewLifeChurch.com and watch last week's sermon at our website there, because we archive all of them there. Uh, So today, as we jump into this thing, we're going to be looking at verses 3, you know, know, through uh, a few of them there. I'll I'll tell you where where we're going to land today. 
Uh, but as we jump into that, I, I want to kind of draw this picture. These wise men are coming from what's known as the east. So let's just put them in Iraq or Iran. They're coming this distance and they're making their way to Jerusalem. Now, we, we often think, and in our nativity scenes, like I said last week, that there's three wise men, and we do that a lot because there's three gifts. But here's the, here's the truth to the matter. These guys were so important. They were, they were so respected in their culture. They were so well-esteemed that these guys were traveling. They didn't just travel by themselves. And so first off, there wasn't just three of them. There would have definitely been more of them. Uh, and that's, that's something you can get even from reading in Daniel. You can see that there's more than just three wise men. In fact, there's multiple schools of wise men that would have been around in that culture and in that era. Uh, so there was probably more wise men that were traveling. Um, they would have made this multiple month journey to where they were going. They would have had a, had a lot of supplies. So they would have had a lot of servants with them. They're going to make a journey through foreign lands and they want to be protected. They want to get there alive. They're going to have some soldiers that are with them. They need Need to eat along the way they're going to have some cooks with them are you getting the point point? I and mean, there's a lot of people in this entourage and all of a sudden they show up in jerusalem with this big entourage you know and these guys are riding some of the finest of the finest of horses as they come you know riding in the whole city starts to kind of talk about did you see this large group that came in from the east i mean these are the these are part of the wise men group i mean these guys are these guys are well-esteemed, but wonder what they're doing here. And then all of a sudden, the wise men, it says in you know, verses 1 and 2, they start asking the question, where is the king? Man, that starts spreading around Jerusalem. And the word starts getting out, and you know, people start hearing about it. And so here they are coming in with their big arrival. And at their arrival, they came at a time that was a pretty interesting time in history. They came at the time when King Herod the Great was the king. And he he had set up his throne in Jerusalem. Now, King Herod, I I can't go into everything about King Herod the Great, but I can just tell you this. He's one of those kind of guys that you kind of have to love and you have to hate all at the same time. I mean, this guy is a master builder. He's built things that still exist to this day, although they're more more so in ruins. They still exist. And I was just in uh, Israel earlier earlier this year, like I know some of you have been. I got to see some of, I I remember seeing three things that he built for sure. I went to to this place called Masada. Masada, I, I can't go into all the details, but it's just this, it's like a community that was built up high on this cliff. And to get up there, this would have been a treacherous climb. I took a gondola up there. That's how, that's how I wanted to get up there, right? And back down. I mean, I rode, right? Uh, some guys, they wanted to walk the thing. And, you know, more power to them. Uh, it's not something I necessarily wanted to do at that day, uh, per se. But maybe, you know, someday when I'm ready to hike. Amazing. I mean, just a feat of engineering to make this happen. I went, to, I went to another place in Caesarea at this port where he had built up this amphitheater and this aquifer that came in and I walked underneath um, you know, the aquifer as he has all of these archways that were built in it and you know, where this palace would have set and all of this stuff. It was, just a, it was a fantastic little community right there that you know, he ordered and he had built and he was behind a lot of even the design and the ideas behind that. He just had that kind of an eye. I went to this place called the Herodium where it just, 
out of a valley floor. You know, they just built up this dirt and rock and rubble and they just built this massive tower. And there he puts another one of his palaces where he gets to kind of hang out whenever he wants to. He just had these places all over. I mean, fantastic feats of engineering that you can still go and put your eyes on and touch and see and walk through. It's incredible. But at the same time, probably one of the more insecure leaders that you can read about. Insecure in every sense, fashion, and form. Historically, historically it's written about him that he kills, he executes one of his wives, and he executes three of his sons. Just to display his power and to let the world know, no one's going to trump me. No one's going to take me down. It was said, written about him by a historian of that era and of that time, that he had thousands of men that were his bodyguards and that he would be seen at times with 2,000 bodyguards at one time. He was the most egotistical person that you could read about and his name is mentioned in God's word in Matthew chapter 2. And here's this man in this place of power that the wise men are going to have to come and they're going to have to come to at this very moment and they're going to have to talk to this guy. The the wise men are accustomed to talking with kings. That's not the problem. It's that you're talking with a guy that you just don't know what side of the bed he woke up on, if you're catching my drift, right? So here, here they are. And when the word begins to spread through the city, the word of the wise men asking, where is the king? Can you imagine what would happen with one of the more insecure leaders that you would know? Can you imagine what would be going on in his heart? Like, I'm the king. Who's this? What? What's going on in the city? All these people are, you know, wrestling around with some other king. I'll tell you what, there's not going to be another king. I'm the king. And in fact, it said this when he heard this news. said that King Herod was deeply, what? Deeply disturbed. And when he, when he heard this, as, as was, look, everyone in Jerusalem. Why do you think everyone in Jerusalem was disturbed? Could it be the fact that they know this leader? They know that anything is capable with this guy. I mean, this could be, this whole thing could turn bad and it could turn bad fast. So we're all worried. That's the sense. There's a tension in the city as the wise men have come to ask one little question. Where is the king? He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Why do you think he even wants to know where he's supposed to be born? If you've read the the story, you already know. Because later later on in this story, you find that he actually sends soldiers to Bethlehem where the baby was supposed to be born and he tells them, execute all of the boys that are two years old and younger. See, that's the kind of leader that the wise men have to face. So what are some of the things the wise men had to war against? Well, they had to war against the opinion of others. That's number one. Here they have this this king who they already know that his propensity is one of evil and wickedness. And they got a war against his opinion. But they also, I mean, put yourself in the wise men's shoes and go back to the east where they came from. And just think about the night that they finally saw the star... Right, And they confirm it with maybe some of their peers. And then the next morning they wake up and they're like, okay, well, man, if that's the star, maybe we should start compiling all of our gear and start you know, getting some troops and you know, make sure we got all the supplies that we need because, man, we got to take a journey. 
And can you imagine, you know, like one of the wise men going to their wife the next day and saying, hey, honey, listen, we're going to be going on a really long journey. It's probably going to be at least eight months, could be up to a year round trip. Oh, yeah. Where are you going? We're going to head. um, We're going to head west. Where are you going to go? Um, You know, we're probably just going to end up in Jerusalem. Well, what are you going to do there? We're going to look for a baby. Well, why are you going to go? We saw a star. You saw a star. You realize there's like billions of stars in the sky and you saw a star. Seriously? Can you imagine? You know, here they are. They're trying to maybe convince some people why they need, you know, to get all this gold, frankincense and myrrh, which is adds up to, you know, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great gift that, that they give. I mean, it's worth a truckload of money, what they give away. And can you imagine, you know, as they're putting all this together, having to always answer the question, why are you guys going? Yeah, we saw a star. Okay, all right, whatever. That's just those wise, those wise guys. There's those wise guys at work again, right? So opinions, opinions of people are gonna come. They came back then and they still come to this day. But here's something that I see in scripture that I'm gonna suggest to you that the wise men, they followed this, but Paul wrote this, you know, a long time after this moment, but they, they followed this type of advice. They said, basically, they lived their lives. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. And if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be what? I wouldn't be Christ's servant. If, if he's, Paul writes this and he says, man, if I'm trying to you know, please man, I'm not even one of God's servants. I live my life trying to please God. I live my life more concerned about God's opinion than man's opinion. You see, that's, that's kind of where we're at today. The wise men live their lives that way, and you're going to have to come to a conclusion that that verse can be said about you as well. That you're living your life more on God's opinion than on man's opinion. I can still remember the day that I, I found myself in prayer uh, with God, going, God, I am so consumed with the opinion of other people. That it's destroying me. It's tearing me down. It was after I'd given my life to Jesus. I had surrendered my life to Jesus. I was in a relationship with God. And I'm growing in my relationship with God. However, the opinion of those that I still had around me mattered more to me than God's opinion. And so, therefore, it caused my actions to be, at times, ones that were opposite of what honored God. And what was obedient to God. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? I mean, I remember, though, just praying that day, going, God, I want to be free of this. I don't want this, you know, curse around my neck anymore. I don't want this thing to keep swaying my attention away from you. I want to be all out. I want to be all yours. I want to give it all. But I remember that day, just a peace coming into my heart, a joy coming into my heart as I got up from that moment of prayer, and I felt a freedom, and I started trying to walk that out. But did you know this, still to this very day? It's, it's rare that, you know, a few days don't go by that I'm not tempted to worry and be more concerned about the opinion of someone else. And you probably find yourself in that same situation. You know, the enemy keeps coming at us because he, he, wants, he wants us to be more concerned, you know, with man's opinion than God's opinion. Never, ever allow man's voice to become the star that leads you. Be careful. There are great men and women on this planet that are full of wisdom. Seek them out. Gain wisdom from them. 
The Bible even talks about that as being a healthy thing. But in the end, man's voice should never be the star that you're following. It should always be God's voice. That's God's voice is what you sense intuitively in your heart. God's voice is confirmed in the counsel of the wise that are around you. But let, let man never become the star for you. Always follow, always follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, here's some other things. Don't let this political correctness that's coming out of a sick culture in which we live in direct you as well. Don't get caught up in this list of unwritten rules that are non-Christ-centered that are going to affect the way you live and the way that you love people. Now, before I just leave that point like that, because I know someone's out there thinking like this, oh, oh, honey, did you hear that? Pastor just gave me a license to tell people what I think. That's, that's really not where I'm going at all. In fact, let's look at 1 Corinthians because it'll give us some boundaries to what I, what I mean by that. It says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. In this world that we live in, if, you, if you're going to care more about God's opinion than man's opinion, there's three things that stand out in this scripture really fast. The first one is this, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. But do that with love. Stand firm. This, this is what I believe. This is what I know. But it doesn't mean you have to wield that like a weapon to cause destruction to others. That does more damage. But stand firm. Don't let man's opinion on this earth shake you. Don't let some preacher who just gets airtime and gets to say whatever he wants to say something that causes you to go, go off, off on your spiritual journey into some desert place and you know, destruction to your life. Don't let that happen. Stand firm. And when the world shakes around you, stand firm. And when it seems like, you know, God has abandoned you, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. And do it with love. Second thing was, be courageous. Be courageous in your faith, right? But do it with love. When I look at the wise men, I see a bunch of guys that, are completely courageous. I see a bunch of guys who know what it means to stand firm. Like we got a word and we're going on a journey. And I see them courageous like, man, it doesn't matter how far the journey is, how long the journey is, or who the king is. We're courageous in our faith, but do it with love. They didn't come in there attacking King Herod. They came in asking a question. And they, they weren't going to let anyone's opinion stop them from getting the answer to that. Be courageous in your faith. I hope I model those kinds of things for you. Be courageous, but do it with love. Do it with love. That means just because you might be willing to take a, a leap of faith that takes you all the way over here, right, doesn't make you better than the person who only takes a leap of faith that takes them to here. It doesn't make you better. So you can't stand over here and then say to this person, I can't believe you. you got to be more courageous. No, that, that's demeaning. That's tearing others down. What you should do is this. Hey, great step. That was awesome. How can I help you take another spiritual step? Use, the, use the, the courage of faith that's inside of you to help others along in their spiritual journey. That's what it ought to do. Be strong. Be strong in what you believe, right? But share it with love. 
These three things. These are the things the wise men modeled for us. They were strong in what they believed. Be strong in what you believe. Get into God's word. That's where their strength came from. Their strength didn't come from just looking at the stars. Their strength came from God's word. That's what led them to the Christ. God's word. Because God's word is the one who told them to look for the star. God's word is ultimately the one who found the baby. So we have a choice today. You know, we can be, we can be like the wise men and go through life caring more about God's opinion. Or you can be like Christians you see today a lot. They care more about man's opinion. Let's war against that. Let's tune our ear to God's voice more than any other voice. The wise men, though, they also had to war against what we're just going to say is the familiar. The familiar. I find it very interesting that when the well, wise men, they show up and they're asking this question, where is the baby? That the religious leaders in Jerusalem, these guys who were just five miles away from where the baby was born, where Jesus came and where, you know, the son of God, the king of kings, lord of lords, you know, began his, his stint of humanity on this earth. They were only five miles away from that. That these guys, they had the ability to know like where the prophecy was found. They went to the scroll of Micah, which is in your Old Testament. They went to the scroll. They found the verse. They knew what it was. Some of them even knew the verse by memory. They could quote it. They could say it all day long. They even knew that there was supposed to be a star that they should be watching for. But yet Jesus is born five miles away from them. And they don't even know that the Son of God showed up. Could it be? Could it be that they became too familiar with doing worship than truly worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords? They got too busy doing the acts of worship, getting into the minutia of it, getting enthralled with their knowledge and you know all of their pomp and circumstance, and they forgot what it was like to look for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But on the flip side, the wise men, hundreds of miles away, have to take months and months to journey there. But yet, these guys are looking into the sky. They're looking for the star. When they see it, they're gone. They're heading west. Why? Because there's a difference between being familiar and being fascinated. The wise men were fascinated. <laughs> they were fascinated. They got fascinated with the star. And they just started searching after him. The religious leaders, 70, 71 of them, whatever the number was, they all came together and they all concluded, yep, this is the verse, this is what it says, but you don't have nothing to worry about. We haven't seen anything. The wise men are fascinated enough that they, they put it all together and off they go on their journey. Big difference between those two. Now, this series is called The Star War, A King is Born, so... Um, it has a little to do with Star Wars, so I would be you know, remiss if I didn't bring in some kind of a Star Wars analogy at this moment. So if you'll forgive me. Fascination. Anakin Skywalker. Anybody know who he is? Right, he becomes who? Darth, Darth Vader. That was Pastor Eric, by the way. And no, he's not that scary to your children, all right? So please drop your children. <laughs> drop them off. It's all going to be okay. Anakin Skywalker... And, you know, early on in his life, he got fascinated, watch this, though, with the dark side. And what did that fascination do? 
It destroyed his life. That's a movie. I got it. But you know what happens in real life too. However, his son in the movie, Luke Skywalker, he gets fascinated more with the light side. And I loved Pastor Eric. Right? Bring your kids to power kids. We're going to teach them the light side. I like that. I thought that was good. Good job, Eric. Congratulations. I love it. So Luke Skywalker, he gets fascinated with the light side. And it protects him. And it takes him on this journey. What are you fascinated with? Whatever you're fascinated with takes you on a journey. And let me just ask you straight up. Are you still fascinated with the things of God today? Or are you more fascinated with business, making a dollar, you know, this project, that project, your personal life, your kids, whatever it is that's come into the scope of humanity for you? What are you most fascinated about? Because whatever it is, it's taking you on a journey and it should consume you. We need to be fascinated again with the things of God. We need to come back like a little kid and be fascinated. We need to come back to this place and be in awe of God. That's what Hebrews 12, 28 tells us. It says this, since we are all receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and with awe. We hear a lot about the thankfulness. Thankfulness is one way to develop, you know, this type of childlike fascination and awe with God because you're recognizing him at work in your life. But there's also this holy fear and awe, the awe of God. I remember, man, being a kid, I went to the very first Star Wars movie and on comes the music. And I'm like, whoa, man, this is awesome. This is so cool. I'm like seven years old. And then the crawler, you know, tells the beginning of the story. And then right after that, the music changes and the camera, it goes off of that and it comes around and all these stars are flying by. And then after that, you just hear this, you know, and you see this big ship. And as a kid, you're just like, whoa. Man, how do I get on that ship? <laughs> You're in awe. You're in awe. But it's that same kind of awe that God wants us to have about Him. That childlike awe. You remember that childlike awe when, you know, your weird uncle did the magic trick with the coin? And he was like, hey, uh, remember the, I got, I got, hey, kid, you got a, you got a quarter? And so you gave him your quarter. Um, that's what weird uncles do. And you, you got, you got, don't be a weird uncle, by the way, but you got, you got the quarter and you're like, kid, kid, watch this. We'll make this thing disappear in this hand. It's in this hand. Then it's in this hand. It's behind my back. You know, it's behind my back. It's behind my back. Which hand is it in kid? Oh, it's that one. Nope. Not there. Oh, it must be that one. Weird uncle. Nope. It's not there either. Oh, that's a good trick. See you later, kid. (laughs) Right? And you were like, whoa, what happened to the quarter? I mean, you've been as an adult to, you know, watch one of these magicians. I mean, even as an adult, sometimes these guys do these little tricks that are so fast that it just, you sit there like, how did he do that? How, How did he make that horse disappear? I don't even, right? We need to be that way with God. 
I gotta come back to that childlike awe and wonder and amazement. We gotta get captured by God again and let the fascination of God begin to stir in our hearts again because without it, you're growing spiritually cold. In a moment, we're gonna come and we're gonna spend some time in worship. And my challenge to you is this. Find the fascination of God again. Follow the star. Go on the journey again. Don't just sit there any longer. Follow it. This is exactly what the wise men did. The fascination, you know, the wise men, it led them to Jerusalem. But did you notice? Did you notice something? In the story, it only led them to Jerusalem. That their fascination in this star caused them to pack up all of their gear, invest all this money, and go on a journey, and they didn't even know where the baby was born. They just knew the region. Who told them where the baby was born? King Herod did. Where did King Herod get the message from? From the priests and from the religious leaders. And when the wise men go and they meet with King Herod, all of a sudden, the next piece of the journey gets given to them. Oh, guys, I'll tell you where it's at. You tell me when you saw the star. Oh, you saw the star a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago? Okay, perfect. Uh, I'll tell you. My guys tell me that the baby's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, hey, thanks a lot. That's what we needed. We needed the next piece to the puzzle. And in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, after this interview with King Herod, the wise men, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east, it guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, what was it? They were what? Filled with joy. Listen, let's just stop for a moment, because there's some things that we just read that I don't know about you, but it's part of the Christmas story, and you may just overlook it, but I want to share some stuff with you that should increase your fascination of God. First off, let's just do a little, you know, little understanding. The wise men were in the what? North, south, east, west. The east. Right. So that means that the star was in the? It was in the west. Right. They're in the east. Star's in the west. It guides them from the east to Jerusalem, going to the west, and they arrive in Jerusalem. Then what happens with the star? Where does the star guide them next? To Bethlehem. Now, if you don't know where Bethlehem is, you need to know this. Bethlehem isn't farther to the west from Jerusalem. It's five miles to the south. Oh, and then, I don't know if you caught it in the text there or not, but then when the star led them now, not only just to the west, but then all of a sudden it made a 90 degree turn and it's led them now to the south. It also, it does something where Jesus is at. What did the star do where Jesus was at? It did what? How, what, what star do you know that can lead someone from the east to the west and then from that spot to the south and then just stop right there? I'll tell you. A star that's in the hand of God. And I don't care what it was, whether it was an astronomical thing or it was a supernatural thing of God leading them. It doesn't matter to me. All I know is this. It blows my mind away that God can do things like that. Why? Because he holds the universe in his hand. If he holds the universe in his hand, he just plucks a little star and he moves it there and he moves it here and he shines a light there. And the wise men, they go on the journey. But you know what I love about this? It says that the wise men were full of joy when they saw the star. 
Now, I was always taught as a kid that the wise men started their journey seeing the star and they just kept following the star and the star was just shining the whole time. If that was the case, why did they need Herod? Why did they need the religious leaders? Why didn't they just keep following the star all the way to Bethlehem? And then why would they be full of such joy when they saw the star that they've been following for the last number of months? Don't you think that the star would have caught a little old after a while? Anything that's new gets old. It appears, based on this passage, that the star shone in the west. Here they were. Hey, that's the star. Let's get all our gear. Let's get everything ready. Come on, let's head out. And they head out on the journey. Somewhere along the journey, did the star go away? Did the star just, all of a sudden, it's not there anymore? It really gives a good indicator of why they would have been filled with joy when they saw it again. But if that was the case, how many times for you and me do we start out on a spiritual journey Heading, heading off to seek God, and then all of a sudden we feel like we're kind of in the desert. All of a sudden it feels like we're kind of lost. All of a sudden it feels like what I started out doing, what I started to obey you with God, it's like as if you've abandoned me. I think that that's probably more like what happened with these wise men. They started out on the journey, and then all of a sudden the star is gone. And what do they do? Do they give up? Do they turn around? Do they go back to where they came from? No, they just keep pressing forward. And they go all the way to Jerusalem, and they get there, and they have to start asking the question, hey, where's the baby? Where, where's this baby? We know. We saw his star. Notice that they weren't there telling the people in Jerusalem, hey, look up. That's his star right there. There's his star. Can't you see it? It's right there. No. They said, we saw his star, and they're asking, where is the baby? So your life and my life, it's a journey of faith. And if it's filled with the fascination of God, it will cause your journey to start. And your fascination of God and your awe of God will keep your journey going, even when it seems like the star diminishes. And you keep following God. Because just the right moment, all of a sudden, just around the corner, the next morning you wake up, boom, there's the star again. And it says, hey, turn to the south and go five miles down here. And it stops right over the place where God wants you to glean the most from. That's what God does. God's faithful to point us in the direction that we need to go. We have to activate faith out of the fascination and the awe of God and journey, journey to find Jesus and know this, God is not going to let you down. God's not going to fail you. God's not going to leave you in the middle of your journey, not knowing where to go. Are there going to be difficult times? Yes. Are you going to have to battle against the opinions of others? Yes. Are you going to have to go beyond the familiar to the fascination of God? Yes. But when you do that, all of a sudden, boom, there's the Holy Spirit again. He says, here's where you need to go. I've got the perfect thing for you. Praise God. that He has not left us here. And that we are not, that we're just some group of people that are not known to him. He knows you. He has not forgot about you. And wherever you are in that spiritual journey that you're crying out to him going, where did the star go? Where did the Holy Spirit go? Where did your promise go? Where did your word go? Hold on. Hold on. Because the star is just getting ready to light up again. And when it does, may your heart be full of joy. Be full of joy. Because greater is he who is with you and in you 
than he who is in this world. Today, our worship teams are going to come. And when they come, they're going to lead us in a few songs. This time of singing, you can just make it that. You can do worship if you want to. Or you can turn it into a moment of fascination and in awe. As you, do, as you hear these words and you sing them along and you worship him. You might want to find a place and kneel down and bow down. That's what we're going to deal with next week. But that's what, the, that's what the wise men did when they found Jesus. They couldn't help but to bow down. They worshiped him. Come today with a childlike awe and fascination again. And worship God with that same attitude. Going, God, I'm amazed by you. I am captured by you. I'm amazed at what you do. Let's come to God with that kind of heart. And let's, let's war against everything that would want to keep us from following the star today. Why don't you stand and let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We come to you because, Lord, we know that Lord, you came to this earth to bring hope. You came to this earth to bring life. You didn't come here to, to condemn the world, but you came to save the world. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, there's so many reasons why we deserve to be condemned, but yet you came to save us. There's so many reasons why, Lord, we should just be left out in the cold, but yet, God, you came to love us. And Lord, today, today, may we come back to a childlike faith, one that's in awe and in fascination of the Savior. Lord, I stand here today, blown away, blown away by what you do. And I can only see a glimpse I, I look through as if it was like rose-colored glass, but God, you, you blow my mind away. I stand in awe of you today, in the presence of the living God, in the presence of the Almighty God, the one who takes with his pinky and his finger and he, he orchestrates the stars to move, to lead men to the sun. Lord, I stand in amazement of you. Would you come in this place? You draw us close to you. Holy Spirit, be the star to us today. Lead us to Jesus. Lead us to Jesus. Amen.